Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello tennis fans and welcome to episode 21 of The Passing Shot. Please take your seats quickly ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello and welcome to The Passing Shot, your tennis catch-up podcast with the Queen of Clay, Kim, and the wandering wildcard, Joel. So today we'll be focusing on the finale of the Australian Open and the six things we've learned from week two of the tournament. So post-slam life now begins, no more live score scrolling, endlessly checking scores, but back to normal sleep patterns. So that's one good thing. How have you been, Joel? Are you uh, ready to resume with normal activities again? Hi Kim, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm just about I'm just about ready. It's been it's been a fantastic two weeks of tennis. The, the season has well and truly started with a bang. We've had some great matches in the men's draw, in the women's draw, in the doubles draw. It's feeling it's got me very excited. You know, there's lots to talk about, and I feel that even though the kind of the tennis is over, the fallout has only just begun. There is so much. We can discuss, you know, matches, controversies, interviews. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Like so much has happened. I think we should begin with our first point of the of the episode, which we'll start with the men, as that's just most recently happened. And that is the fact that Djokovic has been totally dominant down under. And is he the official Australian Open GOAT? It's a good question, Kim, because he absolutely i know you're a big rafa fan but he absolutely dismantled him 636263 six, straight sets uh has now won seven australian open titles he's 7 and 0 in finals at the australian open and going into the match i think everyone was thinking is this going to be another 5 6 hour epic like their last match back in 2012 but the, the reality was almost the complete opposite came in at just just over two hours two hours four minutes and yeah Djokovic virtually flaw, flawless 34 winners to Nadal's 21 and in terms of unforced errors some absolutely un- unbelievable stats he made uh, across three sets in the semi-final and two sets of the final he made nine unforced errors I was watching it on TV and kind of midway through the second set the commentator said that Djokovic had only lost two points on his serve so he was playing next level tennis yeah it was insane like he was totally dominant and yeah it was sad for me as a Rafa fan but there wasn't really an awful lot Rafa could do he was sort of trying to find a solution but it was just too good from Djokovic I mean it was such a quick final only two hours and four minutes yeah as you said people were expecting another epic which did not materialize sadly and I mean, no back stats were just incredible all across the board. Totally, totally insane, really. I mean, despite having 
yeah, not only having won the AO seven times now, he's won three consecutive slams. He has just totally cemented um, his position, you know, if it wasn't already cemented in the history books with his 15th slam overall. And, you know, come Roland Garros, he's now going to be gunning to have his second Joker slam or whatever you want to call it, you know, where he's going to aim to hold all four slams at the same time again for the second time. So it's just, it was since the semifinals, his level just went up. And, you know, we were all talking about Rafa's level being amazing, you know, especially in the semi against Sitsipas. But it was just, a you know, a different level today from, from Novak. Yeah, so, I think... I mean, whew. I think Nadal... <laughs> I think Nadal would be disappointed because I think he he knows somewhere inside him there is a performance there that could have competed with Djokovic today. But the performance that he he showed everyone out there, that just wasn't a level that Djokovic wasn't was playing at. And you know, it it showed in, in the scoreline. I think that was the first Grand Slam final that Nadal has lost in straight sets. And it's it was it was funny to me that Nadal had reached the final without dropping a set and then proceeded not to win another set in, in the final. Yeah, it was slightly ironic, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, I was glad Rafa got to the final. Like, that was already better than, you know, maybe pre-tournament expectations. So, but it was just frustrating that it, he couldn't do anything more final. You know, it was a disappointing end. But I do believe <laughs> that Rafa's now joined uh, maybe an exclusive club of two <laughs> with regards to the number of Australian Open finals that he's lost. So this was his fourth final that he's lost. And, you know, what other player has lost more finals than that, Joel, at that AO? Uh, Andy Murray, of course. Yeah. Five, so... five runner-ups. I think, is it yeah. four? I might be wrong on this. Four to Djokovic, one to Federer. Any- uh in terms of, yeah i think i think you're right there um and so out of the last nine australian open finals murray's lost five rafa's lost four so you know they would have enough plates enough runners-up <laughs> plates to host a dinner party with the amount of <laughs> times they've they've been you know second best and uh yeah i mean that would be a great dinner party to go to a <laughs> uh, great host i don't know where marin chilich would fit in because you know he was last year's runner runner-up so He'd have to be invited as well, I guess. But yeah, maybe, you know, I was thinking, oh, it's been 10 years since Rafa won his first one. You know, what a nice, like, story, you know, 10 years on, but not not to be today. Uh, although one of the listeners, uh, one of our listeners uh, messaged in earlier saying, "What? how do we think Novak can be beaten in this form? I mean, he's just kind of unplayable if he carries on like this. Yeah, it's an interesting point raised by one of our listeners because I think it's one of the hottest questions you know, at the moment, you know, even is there even an answer to it? How do you beat Novak Djokovic when he's playing tennis just this good? I think that, you know, there have been players in the last kind of couple of weeks who've, who've shown that they can live with Novak, arguably actually better than, than Nadal did in the final. You know, I think Medvedev almost proved his his stiffest competition, which, you know, it's almost a, a bit of a surprise. But um, I think, you know, for me, it's kind of, you've got to rec- recognise that, Novak Djokovic is going to play great tennis, but you know when he does have that slight dip, you've got to be ready to pounce on it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's just taking your moments when it comes. It's a bit like playing John Isner in a tie break. Like if you just get a second serve, you, you know you've got to win that point. So yeah, we'll we'll see how how people fare against him. I mean, one of the players that I would love to see play Djokovic 
in the foreseeable future is Stefano Tsitsipas. And that brings us nicely onto our second point that we would like to raise from the AO 2019. It's that we think that Stefanos Tsitsipas is now the the new leader of the next generation of players. And we think he's kind of overtaken that mantle from Sasha Zverev. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of... Well, since Tsitsipas played Federer, the term changing of the guard has been a big buzzword in the second week of the Australian Open and I think that you know I think we spoke on our previous podcast about we don't actually think a changing of the guard has happened I certainly think Federer doesn't think a changing of the guard has happened but if there has been I think it's been Sissipas overtaking Zverev and becoming the leader of the next gen and if you look at both of their Australian Open 2019s very, 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 very contrasting. You know, Sissipas obviously getting to semi-finals, whereas Zverev's story of old almost it can almost be summed up in one one graphic: him absolutely dismantling his racket, smashing it eight times into the ground. You know, trailing Milos Raonic in the fourth round by set and four-one, and he just cut a very, very frustrated figure. And it's it's a figure we've we've come to come to almost expect a, a, a you know at each grand slam yeah it'd be like on a on a tennis i don't know bingo game it's like it's very losing earlier than people <laughs> expected you know to, um yeah even my non-tennis friends like you know were sharing that uh video of him smashing his bracket going like oh my god i just don't think Zverev has like the fire in his belly that we have seen from from Sitsipas this tournament you know when Sitsipas lost to Rafa in the semis his press conference he was he was really quite you know upset and like disappointed and he really like showed that he showed his emotions and I think he's going to really take that on board and, and learn from that and you know try his best to avoid being in that situation again I just don't feel like we get that from Zverev he just seems much more like casual about it and as if you know oh la di I'm going to walk through and like yeah you know the results in the slams will come my way. But I don't know. I just don't really get that same like grip from him that perhaps, you know, we're getting from Sitsipas. And I think for that reason, yeah, Sitsipas is like the the next one to kind of truly deliver, I think, out of the, you know, this kind of cohort coming through. I think that, I think you're right. And I think that, I think what's interesting to see, will be to see over this season is almost how Zverev reacts to someone like Sitsipas coming in and you know vying for him for that top spot you know I wonder if you know a bit of competition in the form of another player in the same sort of category as him you know will do him a world a world of good obviously he's you know had success you know he won the world tour finals he's won masters events but kind of really to kind of take it to that next level up in in the grand slams he's still yeah I think that will help I think having that Maybe that maybe this is the new rivalry, you know, Tsitsipas Zverev. Maybe that's going to be like the future leading rivalry in men's tennis. Like in say six years' time, we'll be talking about them as you know the the top two. But yeah, I think it can help him, spur him on, give him you know someone to aim towards. I think there was a bit of bad blood between them, wasn't there? Uh, yeah, at a tournament in the, the Rogers Cup, in the quarterfinals yeah. of the Rogers Cup, they played each other. Very very frosty handshake at the mm. end. I've got a question for you, Kim. I think, you know, if if we're saying these are kind of two players that are are the futures, the future yeah. of, of of the men's tennis, who who do you think is going to win? Who do you think is going to reach number one in the world? First of all, 
well, or, maybe that's so far ahead at the moment. <laughs> it might be a long time coming. I mean, Zverev's obviously ranked number three at the moment, um, which on a side note, Federer is actually going to drop out the top five on, on Monday um, for the first time in forever, I guess. Yeah, probably sits the pass. Or Zverev potentially might get to number one through consistency, but I think sits the pass in the long term is going to be the most successful player out of the two. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's my take on Ooh, it anyway. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would so... say, yeah, if I, if I had to make a judgment call, I I still probably go Zverev. I still think yeah. that, you know, once he adds being able to go into into the second week of Grand Slams, he's going to get a lot more ranking points. Um, once he gets over that hurdle. Yeah. Also, I've tipped him for the US Open, so... <laughs> I'm just going down the pan at the moment, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, talking of... Lovely, young, exciting new players. Let's go and talk about the women's tournament, which has been amazing. Uh, Naomi Osaka, she is here to stay. She is, well, more than here to stay. I think she is the new leading force in women's tennis. Would you agree with me, Joel? Uh, one, 110% Kim. Yeah. Osaka, <laughs> Kvitova, fantastic final. Osaka coming out on top, 7-6, 5-7, First player since... Jennifer Capriati to back up her first Grand Slam title with another Grand Slam, which is absolutely fantastic. That's since um, Jennifer Capriati did that in 2001. She did the Australian Open followed by uh, followed by the French Open. I thought what was quite interesting to note is that, you know, with Osaka, you know, now that she's world number one, I think she's got a very, very much a big game mentality. And I think... You know, she's won three professional tennis tournaments in her career and they are Indian Wells, US Open, Australian Open. So it just shows she's <laughs> she is ready. That's mad. She is ready yeah. for the big tournaments. Yeah, she that just with you know, having like those three tournaments and then those are the ones that she's won, that that's insane. Like, yeah, that that, that kind of blew my mind when I saw that star. I was like, Really? You know, most players, you know, win a couple of smaller tournaments and then, you know, might get you know, get before doing anything at a slam, but yeah, she she was only she was ranked seventy two in the world, like at, at the Australian Open last year. Like, what a like meteor meteor. I don't even stratospheric Me- rise. I'm trying to say <laughs> another word there. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, amazing. And she just yeah, you know, she had that wobble in the second set, and you know she was three uh, match points up, and then Kvitova just like stormed back to take to take us into a third set. And I was thinking, oh, you know, that's the first kind of bit of frailty that we've seen from Osaka. But then in the third set, she just, you know, got on with it and re- regrouped and and went on to win. And it's just very impressive. She's done kind of nothing but impress. And, you know, she had a difficult third round against Su Wei Shui, which um, she was like a set and a breakdown and she came back. And then, you know, she had tough matches against Pliskova, Sevastova. But, you know, she, she's really had to work hard to, to win this title and, you know, full credit to her. And the final, as you said, was was amazing. And just a note on Petra Kvitova. I mean, she's done so well to get back to playing at this level again. You know, she had that awful incident a few years ago where she was attacked and, she, you know, she was told that she might not be able to play again. So for her to kind of get to this point, it's, it's very emotional for her. And, you know, she was... She was in great form, having coming into the into the Australian Open. So it was always going to be. She hadn't conceded a. Really a she hadn't conceded match. a set. Uh, yeah. Going into the final. Yeah. And yeah, she. I mean, both both tennis both players had. I thought 
great tournaments. They both, I think, played really, really high quality tennis in that in that final. And certainly, you know, for the rest of the season, Kvitova, I think, will be a very strong contender, possibly even the favourite for for Wimbledon, given her pedigree on on the grass courts. And yeah, with with Osaka as well, it's you know, it'd be interesting, it'd be fascinating even to see how she can kind of take this game and apply it to to the clay and to the grass. Yeah, because we don't really, I, I don't know what she really did on the clay last year, like what her game is, you know, how well it is adjusted to the clay. But I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure she's going to do well. So, you know, it, it makes women's tennis, I think, it's really brought it back. It's given it, you know, this tournament, this is actually our next point, I should say, like the fourth point really from, from this tournament is that for me, the women's tournament was like far superior to what we saw in the men's tournament. Like give or take a few matches for me that the standard of the women's matches and the quality, it's just been the best women's slam in a long time. Like some of the matchups that we saw were just so good. Like, and the level was just so, so much higher than I think we've seen in a long, in a long time. Yeah, it's been, I, I would, ag- I would agree with you. I think if you look at the men's side, particularly in the, in the latter stages, semi-finals and the final I think well they they were all kind of straight sets I think they were all straight sets actually. yeah yeah they were dominations you know, they, they weren't overly competitive matches they may they may have had competitive moments but certainly they weren't competitive all the way through where you know both players were playing you know high both playing high quality tennis whereas I think kind of you know in the women's in the women's tournament we had you know some very excellent matchups where yeah, both players were just playing very high quality tennis and it just made it great for the spectators and, and fans in those stadiums. Yeah, exactly. I mean, going back, we've had you know, Serena Williams against Carolina Pliskova match. That was dramatic. Yeah. Um, Serena Williams versus Simona Halep. And yeah, Serena Williams, Simona Halep. Uh, and then we had Muguruza against Joe Conta. That was, that was a a great match yep. you know the middle of the night match so we've had some you know and Osaka serviced over that that was a good match Osaka mm-hmm. uh even the semi-final with Pliskova like I mean there's a lot of um real top top matches and I think we've now have kind of got a group of women at the top who are pretty consistent and when they play each other they, they are producing you know it's not so much a case of someone just turning up and being wiped off the court and not kind of showing up on the day I think you know especially Halep's matches Halep always seems to be involved in like slam dingers <laughs> especially this tournament last yep. year Halep was yep. the, the one to have the epic matches but um interestingly Wimbledon for example last year the top 10 seeds in the women's tournament were all out before the quarterfinals but we didn't see that here like there was not many seeds not many top seeds losing that early I mean Kerber lost early but but it hasn't been quite quite the same as we've seen in recent years. So I just think the standard of women's tennis in this tournament has been superb. And um, yeah, I'm really excited. I think it's great that women's tennis has sort of been back. It's, it's back kind of in the spotlight a bit more. And I think Osaka, you know, is, is great for, for the women's game. And, you know, we'll hopefully get more people, you know, watching women's tennis and get them back in, engaged in it. Because uh, I think a lot of people... Maybe for a while, I don't know, maybe it's Serena dominating or mm. there not being as many like known players. Like, But I think with Osaka, you know, she's going to be... Big personality. Kind of, yeah, personality and uh, someone that, you know, 
is going to be very memorable and, and get people involved. And, you know, she's just such a class act as well. Like when you see her, you know, in press conferences and on court, she's so like mature and she's only 21 and she's just like, I wish I was like, had been like that at 21, but, but yeah, I think it's in a positive uh, state at the moment. Yeah. So. And I love, I love that. I think that, yeah, there's almost like we've got an established, you know, we've got established players rising to the top, but it's great to see also that, you know, if you look at the last seven Grand Slam champions, they've all been, they've all been different people. You know, you've had mm. Ostapenko, Muguruza, Stone Stevens, Wozniacki, uh, Halep, Kerber, and now Osaka twice. It's great to kind of see, you know, going into a tournament and there's that, uh, there is that element of the unknown. You d- there is no obvious favourite. Yeah. It, it's almost like a winner is, comes from, you know, you look at a pool of players and see kind of the potential there. But on any given day, you know, one of the, you know, one of those players could, could go and win it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, I've always liked women's tennis because it has always been a bit more like unpredictable. So it kind of adds that like edge to it. Um, but yeah, as you said, we've, we've got that kind of maybe slightly less predictability about it. Maybe that will change with Osaka. I don't know. But we've also got, you know, some established names at the top, um, to, you know, to kind of choose from. So it's kind of best of both, perhaps. Um, but yeah, it's been a great tournament, you know, for the women. Um and, you know, we we should move on, I think, to talking about some of the other results, other winners at Australian Open. I don't know how much of the doubles that you followed, Joel. <laughs> Kim, but... I know you I know you absolutely <laughs> love doubles. So I'm gonna I leave do love I'm gonna doubles. let you take take uh, talk talk to us about it. But uh, I'll I'll lead with the headline and, and kind of the fifth thing that we, we've learned from week two is that long waits lead to doubles glory in the men, women and mixed doubles at the Australian Open twenty nineteen. Yeah, so we had some really lovely stories in the doubles. Um, let's just start with quite an established pair in the men's doubles. So you, Pierre Hughes Herbert and Nicola Mahou, they actually became the first, they, well, they won the men's doubles for a start, but they actually, by winning the men's doubles here, they became the first men's doubles team to complete the career Grand Slam since the Bryan brothers in 2006. So I didn't realise it was actually quite rare for a doubles pairing to to complete the slam um and they started playing together a few years ago um i think and you know they've now completed all four of all four slams so they actually beat um local boy john pierce and Henri continent um in straight sets to win so well done to the french pairing it's so funny because it's like in the slam whenever someone says career grand slam you instantly think singles I know it's terrible, isn't it? It like just shows the dominance of singles in like everyone's, you know. I mean, people were saying about like Asaka being the first Asian woman to win a Grand Slam. It's like, well, um, or to be ranked number one. Sorry, it's like, well, actually, I'm sure that someone has done that in doubles, or you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, but they just always exclude doubles from from the like statistics. Um, but yes, and then in women's doubles, we had Stam's, Stam, Sam <laughs> Stozer, so uh, local Aussie girl, Sam Stozer, and her Chinese partner, I'm probably going to say this wrong, Zhang Shui. So they beat the defending champions, Babosh and Mladenovic, in straight sets to win the, the women's doubles title. So I think it was Shuang Zhe's, or Zhang Shui, sorry, her first <laughs> slam title. Uh, so yeah, a long, a long wait for her to get her first slam, but she was going to retire in like back in 2015 and it was actually Stoza apparently that, you know, sort of 
inspired her to stay and and on the tour playing yeah. so and really to, nice and to her. think uh and to think also that sam stoza's last appearance in australian open with his doubles final was all the way back in 2006 i know that's crazy, crazy isn't it uh, yeah. playing with lisa raymond as well who uh you know she, she's last long retired past. i mean she's long retired um, yeah she is and they had too much points in that final and then lost so like nice that sam has actually <laughs> managed to to yeah. come back oh, well 13 years later and and win it so that's great um and then this is i think perhaps the stat of the of the night uh in the mixed doubles rajiv ram american player won uh, the mix with barbara krechichkova um and that do you know how many attempts Rajiv Ram has taken to win a Grand Slam? No, Kim, but I'm sure you're probably going to tell me. Oh, it's 54. <laughs> so that's many, many slams that Rajiv Ram has played. And finally, he has won a title. And that was against Aussie wildcards Sharma and Smith in straight sets. So uh, good on Rajiv Ram and Krichichkova. Not sure of my Czech pronunciation there. But um, she is actually, I should say, the the women's world number one in doubles. So he chose a good partner. <laughs> he, he was finally like, he was like, Santa. yeah, I'm sure Rajiv Ram to her was like, look, this is my 54th attempt. I'm yeah. really, really am trying this time. Be my partner. No. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then I don't know if you saw much of the juniors, but the top seeds actually both won the junior tournaments, which I thought was quite interesting because mm-hmm. I think normally you get like, I don't know, in juniors, the top it seeds. Could be a bit, it's a bit more variable. It could be anyone's, yeah. yeah. So we had uh, Lorenzo Massetti winning the boys and Clara Towson of Denmark winning the girls. So maybe names to watch out for mm-hmm. in a few years. And uh, from the uh, just going on to the, the wheelchair matches as well, I, I think Dylan Alcott's quite a well-known name, isn't he, mm. um, to tennis fans. So he, um, he won the quad wheelchair singles for like the fifth straight time. So he's a he's an Aussie. So they had a they did have another a local winning a title, and uh, not just Sam Stoza. And then the Dutch Dutch fans will be happy because their compatriot D Day De Groot won the women's wheelchair singles and doubles with her Dutch partner. And then we had an Argentinian Gustavo Fernandez winning the men's wheelchair singles. So um, that's our sort of summary of other results from the AO. Um, and I think it's great at slams, actually. If you go, I don't know if anyone really goes in the second week that, you know, is listening to us, but there is so much to see, so much more than just the singles. And I think if anyone is going to a slam for the first time and wants maybe like a more chilled out experience, just go along in the, in the second week, sit on an outside court. You'll still get some great tennis and, you know, it's a lot more than just kind of what you see on, on the TV. <laughs> yeah. And and who knows? You may be watching, fu- you know, a future top 10. Maybe yeah. In future Do you know what? One. Actually, I was thinking about when I saw Osaka play for the first time. And it was at Wimbledon 2017. And I, I went to watch the end of her match because she was having a long three-setter uh, with someone, I think a Spanish girl. And I was waiting for Caroline Garcia's match on like court 11. And I was like, who is this girl? You know, like, can't she just finish the match off? Because they were going back and forth, endless juices. And it was, it was a circle. And I, I like, she was kind of, you know, on my radar. I knew her name. But like, if you'd have told me now, you know, like 18 months later that she would be, be world, world number, number one, one with two slams, I would have been like, ah, I should have taken more photos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So that brings us on to the last point that we wanted to make, which was 
well, possibly the most exciting thing that's happened in British tennis in the last week, um, and that's been, well, off court, um, is it's been a bit of a debate about doubles uh, within British tennis. Um, I mean, Jamie Murray and Dan Evans have had a bit of a... Uh, bit of a chin wag. A chin wag, yeah, a friendly, not so friendly chin wag about the importance or the, or the credibility of doubles. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because it, it kind of stems from a guy called uh, Louis Kea, who is probably well no- more well known as a doubles coach. hasn't really got much pedigree uh, in in terms of coaching singles players, but a very good doubles coach. And Dan Evans basically came out, and I'll read you. I'll read you the quote. So Jamie thinks, Jamie Murray thinks we should be celebrating six pairs inside the main draw of a Grand Slam. So we are celebrating people who didn't make it at singles and people who didn't have the attitude to work hard enough to make it in the singles game. Now, Jamie Murray came back and said, it is lazy comments to make. It is ill-informed and dumb, really. To question the reason that we are on the doubles tour is because we don't work as hard as the singles guys. It's just total nonsense. We should be celebrating any success that we have in this sport, whether it's singles, doubles, mixed doubles, wheelchairs, whatever. So, yeah, there was kind of a bit of a bit of difference in opinion between Dan Evans and Jamie Murray on the importance of doubles. And, you know, should we be recognising doubles you know, on a level of, you know, on equal level to singles or should be or should singles really kind of sit on top and be the main focus for everyone with with doubles with doubles under almost like relegated underneath yeah I mean I get where Dan Evans is coming from in the sense that I think as a young child starting to play tennis you probably when you picture your future you probably picture yourself playing singles however I think his comments are actually quite lazy and ill-informed to suggest that it's um not quite as worthy as as playing a you know a singles match and that they don't work hard like I think that's that's very demeaning and I don't think Dan Evans is maybe qualified to make those judgments you know here's a player that got done for taking cocaine and had to serve a, a ban like that doesn't to me seem like the attitude of someone who's completely dedicated to working really really hard on his career um and like i just think it's a bit rich for him to then criticize i don't know half the tennis players on the circuit who are you know playing doubles yeah i'm, sh- I'm sure he's not made many doubles fans uh, yeah with, exactly with those comments i think yeah i think for me when i kind of read it back and and, and yeah i was thinking about it i i was wondering about because i think you know with british tennis we're all we are almost entering this golden age of doubles in, in British tennis because we're doing you know, really well in terms of getting and um, pushing guy pushing Brits um, into the into the doubles ranking and I think yeah, yeah we should yeah. we should celebrate that but I think there is a fine line between and I know this maybe kind of look you know looking back historically at British tennis like a, 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 about celebrating me- mediocrity or like mm. do you know participation yeah. as opposed to results um, yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. Absolutely. I think, I mean, <laughs> I just, it'd be interesting to see like Jamie Murray. I, I would assume he's won more career prize money than Dan Evans. Mm. And if you were to judge careers, like, you know, he's been more successful. He's won Grand Slams in doubles and mixed doubles. So whose career would you rather have once you're kind of 
looking back on it, you know, if you were retired. I mean, I'm obviously like, we're just comparing Dan Evans and Jamie here, like, because they've been the ones to come out of these comments. You know, you might decide to become a, sp- a double specialist and not win Sam's, not be at all successful. It's difficult. Um, I know what you mean about not making, you know, just celebrating, like making up the numbers versus. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the point here is that in the in the past there was not really a divide between you know oh I'm a singles player I'm a doubles player because play the top players just played both, so it wasn't like you had to choose. Whereas obviously the games become so much more physical, it's very rare that any top player would would play both events at, at, at like a slam. So it never really was such a choice or such a, a difference. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I mean, I'm tempted to side more with Jamie on this one. I think there's a way to, to raise this point. I think Dan Evans was a bit too harsh in the way that he came out and said that. And I think also like, yeah, Louis Kayer, he's obviously a great double specialist and a great coach. I, and, you know, would that necessarily translate to to singles and other types of tennis? Like, or is it because he's a great coach in doubles, is that does that mean he would be a great coach regardless um or is the the success of him purely because he's like a doubles specialist like i just yeah. i don't know <laughs> it would be interesting to to see yeah i think yeah it's uh it's definitely got there's definitely two sides to this argument and you could you probably fall on 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 either side i think what's going to be interesting is the next davis cup meeting uh, and Jamie Murray and Dan Evans potentially yeah. are in the squad. Whether you know this thing, whether we've seen the end of this, or you know there's going to be potential friction um, mm. that's going to crop up, uh, you know, at, at some point. But um, yeah, certainly it's got. I think it's put a, a spotlight at the moment on yeah on how the doubles is perceived in 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 GB, and I think that's interesting because at the moment, you know, if if we're like looking at you know potentially Andy Murray, you know, re- getting towards closer towards uh, retirement, and our doubles players are really kind of, really kind of performing, almost putting out the best performances, um, you know, at, at Grand Slams. So I definitely think it should be celebrated. But I get that you know we shouldn't be celebrating the like the mediocrity. No. Yeah, I mean. We'll have the doubles tie of Davis Cup sorted, won't we? But maybe not the singles. <laughs> yeah, let's just put uh, Jamie Murray and Dad Evans together in the, yeah. the next doubles. That would be interesting, be yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that kind of wraps up our AO kind of summary, if you like. Um, we will be back in a few weeks with the summary of the next couple of like weeks on the tour. So there are actually a handful of ATP 250 tournaments uh, starting in the next couple of weeks, Davis, Davis Cup. Cup qualifiers. Yep. yep. Uh, we've also got Fed Cup. Um, in GB as well. Yeah, GB down in Bath. So uh, that's pretty exciting. Hosting the Fed Cup for the first time in, I think, what, since like 92 or something. Yep. And uh, it's also got the ladies tournament in St. Petersburg, which is a premier event and also a tournament out in Thailand. Um, interesting thing from the St. Petersburg tournament <laughs> yeah. that's already come to note. <laughs> Yeah, I um, spotted it on. Uh, yeah. I, I spotted on tennis Twitter uh, earlier, earlier, earlier today. They've already they've already done the draw for Saint Petersburg. I was I did note that that Petra Kvitova is the top seed. I'll let's see if she actually turns up. But I noticed that they had to redo the draw 
because, and I quote the WTA Insider Twitter account on this, the draw had to be redone as a chip was missing from the bowl. So <laughs> I thought that they was... they know which like player's chip that was. <laughs> so is this some kind of corruption going on <laughs> or just an honest mistake? I, I'm sure it was an, an honest mistake. Yeah, I just it, thought... they redid it, so I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. But... I'm, I'm glad oh, that twi- no, the whole of tennis Twitter now knows that though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they could have just like not told anyone then no one probably would have batted an eyelid but I, yeah. of, I like that honesty I like that transparency yeah oh um. well we shall see what happens in St Petersburg um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, if you enjoyed the show guys uh please remember to spread the word tell your friends uh if you're listening to us on iTunes Spotify any podcasting platform really drop us a rating and hit the subscribe button. But I think we'll be back in a few weeks, won't we, Joel? Yeah, we'll be we'll be back soon. We'll be back ready to kind of tackle the non non Grand Slam world post post Australian Open. So uh, we hope you can join us again uh, very soon. Thank you. 